Welcome to Sometime Between Dusk and Dawn Ghost Stories. This episode is written and produced by me, Jeanette Quackenbush, with folklore drawn from many resources, including clippings from historic newspapers, Children Lost in the Mountains by Timothy Huff, and J.B. Huffman's Little Lost Boy in the Mountains of Virginia. There's more than just this podcast. You can buy my book series on Amazon and in bookstores. And keep an eye out for my upcoming book, Appalachian Haunted Hikes, where this story will be passed along. Today's story is Little Lost Ghost of Bluff Mountain, about a boy who disappeared into the forest, never to return, alive. The Blue Ridge Parkway is a national parkway meandering 469 miles around the peaks of the Blue Ridge Mountains through Virginia and North Carolina. It connects two parks. Shenandoah National Park and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. If he drove it from start to finish at the leisurely paced speed of 45 miles per hour, it would take about 11 to 12 hours without a break to complete. That said, most don't mind the long excursion. They aren't in a hurry. They take the trip for the many views and overlooks. Some stop and hike the trails, including the Appalachian Trail that crosses its path. And a few more adventurous come to check out a ghost that of a little boy who haunts a mountain ridge along the Appalachian Trail in George Washington National Forest in Virginia. His story goes like this. Ed Pell was a farmer in the late 1800s who shared property with his brother James near Para, Virginia, along Dancing Creek, a stream which for a short time parallels the parkway and can be seen from the Dancing Creek Overlook should you drive there. He was also a circuit-riding German Baptist brethren preacher in the Blue Ridge Mountains. They were called Dunkards or Dunkers because they believed in fully immersing or dunking those baptized. He and his wife Emma Bell had eight children and among them was a four-year-old boy, Emmett. He was tall for his age with fair hair and complexion, blue eyes and a full forehead. He had the habit of sucking the forefinger and middle finger of his left hand. He was probably doing just that when he left with his brothers and sisters for their usual one-mile walk from home and west to their schoolhouse on a particularly chilly and gray cloudy morning of November 9, 1891. The scent of an oncoming rain hung in the air. As Emmett passed his father, who was husking corn that day, the four-year-old stopped and bade him to stay so he could help. One must wonder if Ed Powell's eyes lingered on his sons with any trace of foreboding because the night before, Ed had a strange dream. In it, he watched as a black undertaker's wagon pulled along a road. It stopped, and the reverend had walked to it and climbed inside. In the dream, an old man was reclining in the rear of the wagon who said, this is my house. There was also a foot-long casket in the wagon with no lid, and above it, a tiny light floated seemingly on its own. Ed Powell had awakened with a start from the nightmare, telling his wife what he had seen after he could not fall to sleep. If it was a warning, a premonition of what was to become, the minister would certainly not have deciphered whatever clues it offered. So Ed denied Emmett's request, and he told the boy his teacher expected him to be at the school each day just like his siblings. Little Emmett shuffled away with his brothers and sisters. The children attended a run-room schoolhouse, Dancing Creek School, with 25-year-old Nanny Ann Gilbert as their teacher. It was a typical day with students of varied ages and grades all attending to lessons and learning under one roof and from one teacher. As was customary, the girls took a five-minute recess in the afternoon. 
When they were finished, the boys were allowed their time to play outside too. Miss Gilbert then asked the boys to collect large twigs and branches for the pot-bellied stove before returning to the schoolhouse. There was a forest of chestnut, oak, and pine trees surrounding the small building. The boys set out in the chilly air to collect the wood, some working a little farther away as they had already collected the choicest burning wood near the schoolhouse in the earlier weeks after a long cold spell. The boys boisterously returned with their collection in the middle of the girls' lessons and were told to sit so Miss Gilbert could continue the schooling. In the chaos of unpacking the firewood from arms to stove and floor and resuming the school day, it was not for 20 minutes that it was noted the youngest in the classroom had not returned. Without delay, Miss Gilbert peered outside and after seeing no Emmett, sent the boys back out to the area they had collected the firewood. When they could not find the little one, she sent the children to Emmett's home and the homes of nearby neighbors but no one had seen the child. Soon everyone in the community and even outside areas joined the search. They stationed able-bodied men around the rises and valleys hoping that they could hear him calling out. Night came upon them and cold rain turned to slushy snow at the higher peaks. Many were exhausted, some went home, but Henry Wood, a neighbor, had an old hunting hound much cherished by the boy and the two had become fast friends. Wood sent the pup to seek him out the dog was gone for hours before returning, and later, many wondered if Wood's old hound had come upon the boy and stayed with him. Hundreds took up the search over the following days, but all they discovered was a half-mile trail where young Emmett had dragged a 12-foot chestnut branch intended for the fire. However, his path had led away from the school instead of toward it. Confused and left behind by the older boys, the four-year-old had gone the wrong direction. Eventually, all gave up save Ed Powell, who continued searching whenever he could, hiking into the mountains, still searching for his boy. When rumors began that the boy could have been kidnapped, Emmett's father even offered a reward for his return. It was not until nearly five months later on Sunday, April 3rd, that four young men were traveling along the trails of Bluff Mountain, where one dog went astray. Its persistent barking compelled the men to the top of the peak as they crested the summit nearly three and a half miles from the schoolhouse where Ed Powell's son disappeared and stopped just short of a large stone, they beheld the tiny lifeless body of a child lying on his back, one arm outstretched and the other missing. There was little flesh left on the corpse and his feet were separated from his body. But by the raggedy clothing torn by scrubby branches and thorns and left to rot in the weather, they knew they had found Emmett Powell. A doctor who examined the body said the little boy probably laid down to rest on that first night at the summit. After falling to sleep, he died of exposure. Little Emmett was buried once in a cemetery by the school. His father later reburied him by his home. Years would pass, and his fateful journey was made famous by J.B. Huffman's story, where he called the boy Audie and used the proceeds to build a monument where the little boy died. Later, the Appalachian Trail was constructed to cross the summit of this mountain and it passed by the memorial. A shelter camp, Punchbowl Trail Shelter, was built not far away so that those taking the long trail could stop for respite for the night. It was then that more hikers came to the area that whispers of a ghostly boy visiting the trail and shelter began to occur. He has been seen standing near the camp, whimpering before wandering away and trudging through the thick brush near the place where he laid down to rest and passed away.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sometime Between Dusk and Dawn Ghost Stories. If you like it, please pass it along. And most of all, I hope I helped you find your scary place sometime between dusk and dawn.